What I believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. Hannah Peel is an Emmy-nominated and Royal Television Society-winning artist, producer and composer. She's known primarily for her electronic synthesizer-based pieces, often including classical scoring and sound design, with references to the links between science, nature and music. Hannah has scored music for television, film, theatre and dance, including Game of Thrones. She's also featured as a guest radio presenter for BBC Six Music. She's a member of psychogeography indie rock group The Magnetic North and the electronic group John Fox and the Maths. Most importantly, she's a patron of Humanists UK. Hannah, thank you for joining us on What I Believe. Thank you for having me. I thought we'd start with music um, because I've read, obviously, from interviews of you that not only is music your current uh, work and passion, you had a very musical upbringing uh, as well. And you clearly have reflected um, already in your life on what music means to you, what the value of music is. And that's not something we've really had anyone talk yet about on this podcast. So I'm interested um, as to uh, what you have to say about that. Do you know, it comes from, I guess when, you see, I was born in Northern Ireland and then we moved to Yorkshire. And one of the very kind of first experiences I had was during that period, it was kind of like early 90s, there was this kind of whole initiative where, they would give children in primary school free lessons, um, mainly in brass, because they wanted to kind of continue the brass band tradition and get kids playing and joining, you know, groups. Um, so one of the first connections that I had to living in a different country was music. So I'd gone from the kind of Irish upbringing where, you know, um, my cousins and everyone all play different instruments and kind of seeing that from a young age to moving to Yorkshire and being thrown in from like the age of eight um, into that brass world. Um, so the, so there's always been this kind of connection of place and and what it means and that communication. So although I might speak a different accent, you know, I moved there with a, a very strong Irish accent and it very quickly moved on very fast Um you know, to fit in, but I guess that musical language can work across everything. So it is there as as a as a respect, a mutual kind of respect between people, which I, I find fascinating. I guess until you're older, you don't really realize that, and you can start to assess things properly. But you know, when I look back, that that was my that was my lesson in life. That kind of moving around and having to adjust to it. So what was the music doing for you in those situations then? It was connecting you with place or connecting you with people? Yeah, both. So yeah, I kind of like a a, a history, you kind of get from a, one instrument, you can kind of feel a history. And especially in Yorkshire, like, and, and Barnsley as a mining town, you you know, the brass band is just has, it, it kind of releases every single chemical in your brain that that tells you where it is. And and I haven't found that with me, many styles of music um, 
at the moment because there's so much so much amalgamation but then it was so apparent that this was the music of that town and and that was the world I was stepping into so yeah a total understanding of people and community and 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 yeah as I said at eight years old I didn't really think about that but but you do you do start to recognize okay this is a different place and it has a different sound yeah so it sounds like you think that music is a sort of language or at least that it's communicating meaning definitely definitely yeah I mean it's the one thing that you can I guess lyrics you can attach yourself to different lyrics and language but when sometimes I think more now instrumental music you can listen to a piece of music and associate your own feelings with that in order to express something sometimes things that are too hard to express in words um a piece of music can bring about an emotion or a memory or or a feeling or a or a like or maybe even offer hope and and an answer to something just by listening to a piece of music i mean isn't that insane and and what i find fascinating is like when you analyze that it's like that breaking down of kind of the sound molecule, molecules and you know the the duration of a piece the the pitch of a piece of music, the timbre, the rhythms, the volume, even they all kind of feed into your brain in, in a in a subliminal way. So I do find it quite magical at times. Um, so sorry, Andrea, I will get quite hippie on you. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, it's interesting that you use the word hippie there because what you've just said it does it does sound like for you there's not mystical, obviously, but a very organic feature to music and obviously in the way that you make music and experience it. But then you also seem to be talking about almost engineering it. So it's an organic thing that exists and reaches us, but it's also something that you engineer, you bring method into it. Mm. Yeah. And I guess as you learn and you can kind of engineer what you want to say to someone to, to connect, um, and yeah, it is just that kind of experience of formulating. I guess what I found fascinating and and maybe what we'll come on to at some point in this chat is that um, there is there was a certain moment a few years ago that I really started to really think about science and the brain and how we um, actually are, are processing sound and music. And, you know, the fact that the brain regions that are actually older than the use of language is is amazing so like you know you are absorbing sound from the moment you are conceived so so that that has to have a play on on and how we communicate and how we talk and listen and and I think you know it's it's um yeah the engineering I guess is it it's it's me trying to kind of artistically shape things for you to understand as well and me to understand you know it's a process just as much for me as it is for the listener Let's talk now then about what you say about, you know, the the way in which you begin to think about this, as it were, scientifically. And what you're sort of saying there seems to be that you believe that there's a primal quality to music, that it, it reaches other parts of us that parts of us that other things can't reach. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, going back to the kind of the basics, you the first part of your brain to be developed is the auditory cortex, which is this, the most central part of your brain. So that that there is from the beginning, and that is the place where sounds are stored and and influences and and that those sounds then associate with smell and taste and place and memory. Um, and I guess 
yeah, that that is the primal aspect of it. It is the way that we would have communicated thousands of years ago through sound as well. I, I think that's our ears. I, I also think that our ears right now are, are blasted with too much information and too much noise, and I, and I think the appreciation of what actually music is has diminished. Especially, you know, like we live in a digital age where you you can have it at your fingertips at any point. There is something special about when you find a piece of music and it, it really touches you or it moves you or it makes you want to cry or it makes you think of another human or a, a relationship. I think it's it's something that you can't quite... I can't think of any other art form that touches all the senses like in that way. Do you think that? I t- I'm, I'm not very musical um, myself, so that's why it's it's really fascinating actually hearing you talk about it because it's I'm connecting with what you say like I'm thinking about music in 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 my life whether it's just as simple things as like you know theme tunes from uh mm-hmm. films or television programs yeah. or pieces of music that I've heard that have moved me or that I thought you know I'd quite like that at my funeral or whatever and you're right there is um it, it stimulates all those responses in me uh yeah so yeah I mean it sounds like a you're saying it's pretty much a universal effect, but I guess my question would be, and I'm interested in what you believe about this, is that when you've music is connecting with us all, it's with something that we're all sensitive to. You're saying, I guess, by virtue of being human, but a piece of music, I suppose, is not always communicating the same thing to everybody. I remember mm. looking at a video of quite a famous, I think it's been viewed a lot of times now online, of a flash mob doing the Ode to Joy, mm. uh, and you know the the or orchestra slowly assembles and the ode to joy is uh, played and it's very moving and i don't mind telling you i was tearful you know the first time i saw it on- online probably because it was around the brexit referendum or something and it's the european anthem i don't know why it was anyway something moved me about it and i thought that's so powerful it's so wonderful all those people coming together making music in that way you know that was the message of that to me so i scrolled down the comments because it was on youtube and i think the third or fourth comment was this is the sort of thing that makes me realize that God is real and moves through the universe because he can move us through music like this. And I thought, wow, that person has had a very different <laughs> experience um, of that um, from me. I suppose what, what I'm asking is, do you think then that music, although it moves us all, doesn't necessarily communicate the same thing to us all? And is that is that a problem for your for your view generally that you've just expressed or is it beside the point? No, I mean, it's not a problem at all. I think, I think it's a it's an open source to be to be interpreted and I think as an artist you when you put music out there you have to be expectant of different people liking or not liking it so um and the memories that that can bring about it's interesting that you said about somebody who had you know kind of had that connection then to God so my grandfather was one of the first choir boys to ever make a recording on wax he made it in Manchester Cathedral I think it was in 1921 or 1923 he was only like 11 years old at the time and I found this recording it was on YouTube I couldn't believe it like I'd known it was in the family but nobody seemed to have a copy or or what you know but anyway it was on youtube i ripped it off <laughs> and i was like you know it's my granddad i should be able to take yeah that. exactly it's legal <laughs> um, <laughs> and i was writing a piece of music and it actually going back to the brass band it was commissioned by um a brass band and it was for brass band and synthesizers and it was to do with kind of the connection between music and traveling into space and so what i'd 
done was at the very end, there was this piece called The Planet of Past Souls, where this character that had been taken on this journey went to this planet. And through the airwaves, the kind of the airwaves were like in this alien landscape would would drag out the memories and the sounds from your past. And in there, in in the kind of clouds of dust was the voice of my grandfather that kind of came through. And what happened when we performed this live was the first performance in Manchester. And I literally, as soon as I heard that voice, like I couldn't stop crying. Like I, it was so hard to stand on stage and not just cry. There was this kind of overwhelming feeling of like shivers down your spine kind of thing. And and when I looked about, it wasn't just me. Nobody knew it was my granddad. There was people in the audience that were crying. And and I I, I just was blown away by that how something like sound could release that kind of emotion with no context to it for other people. So the way that they were attached to it or adapting to it as well. Um, and I read online there was something to do with string theory, this thing called string theory, which is kind of like wavelengths bouncing through the air, but the, the way they can bounce, there was one article online that said that some people recognize that as as God's voice um i don't believe that but uh, you know that it's interesting that that kind of phenomenon can be seen as a kind of celestial kind of thing so music is that type of thing for you it's open to interpretation it's how people receive it yes yeah, yeah. but at the same time i think i've seen you interviewed elsewhere where you've um talked about how when you're making music, you're all, you're using it also to explain. I think there's a good quote to explain what's going on in your mind. Mm. Um, and so that does sound like there's there's a message at source as well. It's not all about interpretation. Is there is that a flexible dynamic between the music maker and the, and, and the listener, or is it all yeah. one way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, there's definitely not like a, a kind of like you can think of this as anything. There is always with music that I do that it has some kind of narrative attached to it or some kind of thought process behind it that has led me to that point. I don't like intentionally sit down and go, right, I'm going to write a piece of music that has this effect or or deals with this question on our society. But usually after a while things start to become apparent and then I start to piece puzzles together like for like why have I been looking at imagery of rocks for (laughs) and why am I obsessed with rocks for a while oh okay it's I think it's I'm trying to kind of look into the roots of of our existence (laughs) in a in a huge way like that's just an example but then how do I make that part of a narrative or a story or make it like a human connection to myself and a listener, like one person, another person, what story would I tell to that person? So yeah, so there is there is an element of like, this is under the framework or like this is the narrative, which I think is really important. I think we as a, as a society love a narrative. Like that's just, I think actually listening back to one of your previous podcasts with David Baddiel, it was, he was talking about the narrative and how like, you know, the death was a, an yes artistic kind of uh, invention yes (laughs) but actually you know the narrative and the storytelling is so strong in any art form and and for us as a yeah I think it's it's always there in my work anyway and that's not through lyrics is it in your case so much not anymore yeah 
strangely, I just have kind of deviated away from lyrics. I find them very hard, or I have done the last few years. Well, that's interesting. Why is that? I, I just find it very hard to place a thought, one's thought, into a piece of music and have it so descriptive. And I'm finding it more and more increasingly difficult to write down a set of words and have them as the lyrics. And sadly, that also means that I'm battling with myself because I love singing and I really miss that side of my music. But at the same time, maybe it's just the period that I'm going through. I'm still discovering quite a few things that you know, maybe the, maybe it'll pass and I'll go back to kind of actually writing and talking in that form and communicating in that form. But yeah, it's just one of those things. And maybe it's like one of those thing, insecurities that you get used to and then you build it up in your brain. Come, and back, then you to come back again, yeah. <laughs> so, but at the moment you think you're con- you'd convey, you're conveying more meaning through sounds other than words, yeah, um, more than you would convey through words. Yeah. I see that's fascinating to me because that's, you know, um, that's so distant from my own experience it's really interesting to oh really consider that yeah just just because I've you know like lots of people I guess I I think that you know words are my only way of communicating I suppose that's how I that's Mm -hmm. my like starting assumption but there's such a different idea that you're expressing if you remember a song do you remember the lyrics or do you remember the melody Hmm. I remember the lyrics yeah you see I could listen I used to, to write lyrics down when I was a child, actually. Did you? Like oh a my piece God. of paper, like stop songs, and so I could write them all down. <laughs> so yeah. I could understand what was going on. <laughs> I can I can still listen to a song a hundred times later and think that they're singing about sausages or something random. Like I will get the lyrics wrong every time. And I think that there is a common distinction. You are either a person that does remember all the lyrics exactly or you actually only listening to the music and there is yeah there is a double brain in action um i need to look into this more but that i have seen some writings about it so yeah i'm definitely more the other way <laughs> you um you've written uh, about um the or been interviewed at least um about the effect of music um with your grandma mm-hmm. and yeah. how it um unlocked uh, or I suppose sustained a relationship with her in a very difficult time. That struck me as a really interesting concept and idea. I wonder if you'd mind saying a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so it kind of working backwards, This it relates to an album that I had out in 2016 called Awake But Always Dreaming. And previous to that, the few years leading up to that, I mean, my grandmother had been living with dementia for roughly about 10 to 11 years so over that time she had gradually kind of disappeared from us in terms of we we didn't know how to connect with her and you know you kind of get to a stage where certain memories it it gets so far back into her childhood that you know it it you just really felt like you'd lost that person it was so devastating and so many people have to go through this um but it always fascinated me because she could always remember the words to certain poems that she'd learned as a child. And um, one Christmas, when we all went to the nursing home and I'd said, oh, you know what, why don't we all just sing a Christmas carol and, you know, get the room kind of going. And, and we did. And she kind of went from a, a position of, you know, head down, very kind of distant, 
not communicating, not kind of really aware of, of where she was or what time of year it was to as soon as she heard the carols and the singing, she just, her eyes just opened and her head lifted and she started singing. And, and it was just the most glorious moment, but also so sad because I was like, Oh my God. Like she just seemed to, it just unlocked a door and um, I just couldn't understand it. And I was like, as a musician, why do I not know why this is happening? And this is why I kind of went off into the more brain studies. I got right. in touch with Alzheimer's research. I started working with some teams there that they had um, working in the Welcome Collection in London and um, and uh, some scientists in UCL as well that were studying research. And actually another girl that was from my year in Barnsley is one of the kind of lead researchers and she invited me to her lab where she takes samples from various different people and grows brain neurons in the lab and then analyzes them to see you know try and find the cure for the disease and when she invited me there I just I just couldn't believe it because when you look down the microscope it just looked like the moon or the universe when you were looking at these brain neurons it was just so kind of oh my god and then you know following that I found out about the kind of the auditory cortex and how the brain is formed and where music and sound come into that and how important it is and various different charities that actually there's one called Playlist for Life and they help you become a music detective to kind of detect if someone is living with an Alzheimer's or a dementia that um, to try and find out the music that they like to make a playlist to kind of bring them back into the present so you can communicate with them. And I just thought it was just amazing. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of stemmed from there and, and that right. science side of the music has, has gone on from there. So. so it was that experience really with your grandmother sort of developed this, this, this investigation for you and this journey towards the beliefs that you currently have about music. And it sounds like not only its effects on the brain, but also how it connects people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I mean, it's, I just thought it was such a magical experience. I just didn't know that that could have think could exist. And I, I only wish that I'd known sooner because I would have had many more years with her being able to, talk with her or communicate with her via song because she was a singer this was the saddest thing she loved music she was a singer and we'd never explored that because it was a bit of a taboo at the time and so I made it a kind of like mission that no matter what the album did or, or what people thought of it that I would talk about it and I would say you know and if if someone wrote to me and said I tried this with my grandmother or grandfather and it's changed me then then I would be happy because <laughs> uh, I would have wanted that so and and it did go like that and it, it was beautiful and and really it just it just wasn't all about making art for the ego it was about doing something that actually felt like you were making a bit of a difference to somebody else is that what motivates you now I mean obviously I'm assuming that like every person who creates anything you've got you get a kick out of creation you know you, you enjoy the the act of creation but is there um 
something else that motivates you more than that sort of mission touching on what you just said <laughs> oh no I've definitely got an ego <laughs> I've definitely got that side that that wants to make and create and keep kind of like bubbling away and discovering different instruments and sounds and and stuff um but yeah I do it has given me time to think and pause and start to reassess where I stand in life and and you know it's not all about you know, in my twenties, it was all about kind of the eager and the hunger and the horniness of life. Like, whereas now it is definitely more about, okay, you need to assess certain things and, and accept certain things and respect other people's point of views as well. And, and collaboration in the arts and especially in music for me and the type of music I do is so key. So being open to collaboration and, and, and having that kind of sense of like, whatever another person brings is is a good thing rather than rejecting it which I probably would have done in my 20s so um so is that a developing value for you outside of music as well the idea of collaboration people bringing different things from different areas and bringing them all together yes yeah totally and it's funny because when you when you asked me if I wanted to be part of this podcast I really kind of bolted at it at first (laughs) <laughs> that's because, not unusual <laughs> because I, like when well when you said oh you know when I'd found out about the humanists and I kind of was like you know coming from a kind of very my family are all protestant and you know brought up in the church and then I, I, there, I always I always rebelled against it because I didn't believe what my family believe but I could never speak of that because I was always told don't you say that or don't take God's name in vain or, you know, that kind of thing. So you kind of keep things hidden. But actually, when I was starting to look at the, what I believe and what those systems and that science side of it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I am a humanist. <laughs> ah. So actually, like for me, the, uh, the biggest help was listening to your previous podcasts and just kind of going, oh, yeah, that's what I do as well. Oh, I've always done that. And I guess you get that quite a lot. Um, it's it's definitely something that happens. I mean, I always think that whereas you like religions have conversion stories where people suddenly have like a a great epiphany. Whenever <laughs> anyone joins the humanists, it's more about sort of like a, a sudden self recognition story. It's just you know I was looking at this and suddenly I realised that was what I believed all along. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah, and I guess I've always kind of I've always been very wary of of putting out there what I believe in and. And Why is that? Is that because you don't want it to affect people's interpretation of your music? Yeah. And I, I guess because it's such a personal thing as well. You do when I when I was um 16, I my kind of first boyfriend that I had at 16 was sadly died in a car crash. And he was Catholic and I was Protestant. And um I remember we all went to this Catholic funeral and I, I just couldn't believe how like amazing it was to go to a different church of worship and be part of something and be part of like a celebration of somebody's life rather than kind of like feeling miserable about it. Um, but when we actually buried him in the churchyard, there was a moment of when we were all stood there and it was a really horrible day, but there was this moment of of when the 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 coffin went down that actually the clouds lifted and it and it was sunny in that one space and I remember looking up and going wow and you know at that time I I, did, I still I was still questioning 
what I believed anyway. And it's always stuck with me that there is something greater, but I just don't believe that it's the kind of fabrication that we have in religion. And and so that moment has always stayed with me that there is some kind of way of of touching something, whether what it is that it is. Like, So I wouldn't say I'm an atheist or I wouldn't say I'm kind of, I don't believe in something, but I do believe in something. I just don't know what it is. Like, Would you say that was like a, there's a sort of, there's a, a sort of mystical quality to your experience in the world, to your interactions with, with things that you don't want to dispel? I mean, this is very common with creative and artistic people is that they, and maybe it's about, maybe it's part of the, you know, the creative mind, the artistic mind, because you, you have to, um, create connections and endow things with meaning and communicate those things and so on. And it has mm-hmm. often, you know, that what you've just said is not untypical of um, the sort of humanist who is also uh, a creator of, of of art in one way or another. Do you think that's that's just the sort of the type of person that yeah. you are, and it goes along with being musical? Yeah, yeah. Well, that does that feels quite nice to know. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I guess the mystical is. I mean, it's exciting, it's mysterious, it's like, it it allows you to dream, doesn't it, as well, and yeah. think of bigger ideas and, and kind of touch into worlds and be open to them, for sure. But, you know, but I guess those moments have led me to respect other types of religions and other beliefs and other music and other ideas. And I think that admiration and respect and, and constant learning and understanding is all part of it. Um, and Do you think that your own um, personal upbringing development had a part in that? I mean, obviously, you're moving between Northern Ireland and Yorkshire. You've got lots of different musical influences on you, lots of differences of place. I mean, has that shaped this approach of yours? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I guess it's not the same as somebody who's had to move into a completely different country or environment and been very much based within the UK. But yeah, I mean, it definitely has because when we left Northern Ireland where, you know, like we moved to Barnsley where, you know, it isn't so religious. Um, you know, I I remember my mum falling out with the, somebody at some church so then she moved us to another one <laughs> and it was a, a Methodist one. And I, so protested about going even to it I just was so against it but then on the other side of it my um, relatives of my father's side were in Manchester and they were all Quakers so there was this kind of openness that had that drifted in from the kind of the English side of the family that wasn't there on the other side so yeah there is this kind of multiple layers of things and and also I guess growing older as we do that you you start to adjust and and find your own place in them don't you and that means something to you yeah well you integrate don't you? you integrate these sort of influences and experiences and you try to make sense of them like for yourself uh, I think that's right because we're always trying to make sense of ourselves as well as everything else around, uh, yeah. around us yeah I think that's true and I think it's interesting I mean I'd, I'm definitely going to be thinking about that more as a result of this conversation especially the um that that idea about uh needing some in some sense needing to be open to uh mystical interpretations of events in order to remain imaginative i mean i once i think is it philip pullman i can't remember who it was but there was there was someone who um they're they're humanists and they're also very creative i think it might have been philip pullman but it was 
it was anyway, it was someone who was either a writer or an artist. And they said, you know, religious people think there's two worlds. There's this world that we're living in, the material world, and then another sort of, you know, immaterial mm-hmm. um, world outside this where, where, where all these other things happen. And they said that a humanist also thinks there are two worlds. There's the world outside us in which, you know, there are other people and um, matter and stuff. And then there's the world inside us, the inner world of imagination. Yeah, and it's from that inner world that we give meaning to things, um, interpret events like your shaft of sunlight at the, at the, at the grave, you know, the, the give narrative and shape to things. Um, and that that is, in a sense, as as much of a two world theory um, as religious people have. It's just it's a it's it's a very different sort of two world theory. I can't remember who it was, but I th- I've always thought that I'd like to think like more it. about that. It does sound like a kind of dark materials. It does actually. Now, yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, there's so many worlds, but and and yeah, I I really I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. Definitely with the outside and the inside, and and how we both and we how we grow within both of those. It's um. And I suppose what you've been saying is that music is a sort of bridge from one person's inside world to another person's inside. Oh, Andrew, I love that. Do you think that's right? I mean, that sort really of gorgeous feels like what you what you believe. That feels to me like what you believe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's a gorgeous way of putting it. I have to well, write this down. <laughs> <laughs> the meaning of music, it's primal quality, music that binds us to place, connects us with people, being open, and the mystical aspect of artistic creation. Thank you, Hannah, for telling us what you believe. Oh, thank you for having me. That was Hannah Peel telling us about her life and her outlook on the world as a humanist for the What I Believe podcast. What I Believe is a podcast from Humanist UK. If you'd like to support the podcast, find out more about humanism, Humanist UK, or the work that we do, you can find out more at the Humanist UK website, humanists.uk. And if you like what you see, please consider joining as a supporter or a member. You can also, to find out more about humanism, purchase the Sunday Times bestselling The Little Book of Humanism, available now at all good bookshops. 